Hello and welcome to From the Rooftops, a podcast about superheroes. That's Clay. And I hate this motherfucker right here so much. I want you to understand. That's the only reason I'm here, to make him suck. And we're going to talk about villains. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Clay. But yeah, the the uh, the helpful English academic text, Snatch, defines Nemesis, in the words of Bricktop, as... A righteous dispensation of justified anger, personified in this case by a horrible. We. It's one thing to have a rogues gallery. It's one thing to have like a host of characters who are there to make up the regular in and out filtering of your of your daily grind of different kind of stories you can tell about a character. It's another thing entirely to have a nemesis, to have a villain. Yeah, it's weird because I feel like everyone wants to do that. And, and it's not always entirely necessary, but it feels like it is, right? You want your, like, dark mirror. And. Yeah. Like, okay, who is Spider-Man's nemesis? Is it Venom or Green Goblin? Mm. Well, I mean, I, I personally have, have, uh, a bit, a bit of a beef with, um, with Spider-Man in specific on this front. Um, because Spider-Man doesn't have, Spider-Man doesn't really have a villain. Spider-Man has, Spider-Man has a rogues gallery. I don't think any single one of them represents a really good proper villain for him the way that, say, uh, well, let's get him out of the way early. Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Like, Doctor Doom and Thanos, they're both good examples. I think, I think one of the things for me is that a villain can occasionally take on multiple heroes at once, whereas a hero, sorry, whereas a rogues gallery is much more about one-on-one, you know, reflections of a villain, types of stories you can tell with one particular hero. All right. Which is often why, in my opinion, you don't often see people jumping their uh, their particular rogues gallery and, and heading somewhere else. <laughs> that would be imp- amazing if so. It's like actually fuck this entire group of dudes. I'm I'm leaving. Y'all can do this shit. <laughs> straight up, straight up. Think 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 about okay. What what you know the penguin? Mm-hmm. Like the penguin's whole shtick is gangster with money, no scruples. Who, yeah, who no- like. Imagine the, the hero doing that. Just oh! This <laughs> <laughs> is like, I'm moving. Like, Robin kind of did it. Kind of, but he was he was more leaving Batman than he was leaving his, like, rogues gallery. Yeah, yeah, but can you imagine that from the perspective of, like, all the all the rogues gallery in Gotham sitting there going, what, what, we won't, he's leaving us? <laughs> like, Mr. Trick, right? The, the... <laughs> The, the narrative would have you believe that thing would goes to shit, but maybe they would just get bored and get real jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, but but yes, the villain is the the villain is very different to a rogue because villains tend to be uh, uh, non-specific problems. They tend to be the kind of characters who can show up in different stories from time to time. They often have like larger larger problems than one hero like the vulture is not really a villain in the way that i'm describing because ultimately most of the vulture's problems and solutions are about as complicated as going to the store like he wants a thing he can't afford the thing he robs the store for the thing like that's mostly what the vulture's about if it feels like you're like going into a place where they're almost like anti-heroes you know yeah if if like the hero of their own story sort of thing like, Doctor Doom definitely thinks he's the hero, which is funny. I mean, yeah, Doctor Doom, but... Well, he's Latverian. It doesn't mean the same thing. That, 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's like Varian for flower. Like, is there a Latvian word for doctor that he's choosing not to use? Uh, I, I, um, so, so here's a weird language affect thing. Uh, in German, when you, when you get a doctorate, it doesn't, like, they don't, they don't replace your honor, your, uh, descriptor. So if you are, like, Herr is the replacement for Mr. So if you, if you're, say, Herr Clay, and you become a doctor, you'd be Herr Doctor Clay. Um, and if you get, like, an extra doctorate, it's, Sorry, it's it's Doctor Hair Clay. It would be Doctor Doctor Hair Clay. Uh, so you know, I'm just imagining think... Doctor Doom goes to Germany like Doctor 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 Hair Clay. All oh, right, do Doom, but you know do that you, joke would work get... better if I timed it well. <laughs> just okay, because like Doctor Doctor Fate and Strange are both doctors, completely irrespective of their like wizardry. Does Doom have like a Hogwarts certificate? Oh my god! I want to hear a story a about Latveria and Hogwarts now. Because <laughs> you think about it, he he built replacements in Latveria for things he didn't otherwise have. Like he built university level research centers so he could build super science nonsense. So he might have like a, his own version of Doctor Strange's hangout that he built in Latveria, which is filled with all these terrified Latverians. Like, you will learn this magic. Like, I, I'm my bread! Magic! <laughs> what, what if, what if I can't? We You're going to cast this spell, or I'll throw you in the dungeon! This feels like a dungeon already! <laughs> you know what's weird about Doctor Doom? I don't imagine him having, like, the sort of Eastern European accent he probably has. Yeah. Like, part of that is just, I imagine him as a rapper, and that's a side problem. You know? All caps and all that. But, <sighs> Well, I mean, he did, he did educate himself in America. Yeah, yeah. In New York. So, you know what? Yeah. Probably is a rapper. God. <laughs> He's got the mask. <laughs> no, this, hey, Mar- Marvel executive, Ak- Akira Shida, whatever you're thinking of doing based on what we just joked about, it is a terrible no, 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 idea. No, 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 do not, oh, do Stop. not, do not try to put MF Doom in. <laughs> The next Fantastic Four anything, please. Oh, shut up! No, 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 do that! Do that! Yes! 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 (laughs) Using your Akira Yoshida hurting powers for good, I see. Yes! (laughs) Oh, dear. But yeah, so, so the villain, the villain represents usually, uh, 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 um, a much more like pure and polar opposite to the hero. Broadly speaking, most heroes in comics, and this is kind of a dirty secret, but most heroes in comics operate on the assumption that the world is pretty good, right? The the operating assumption is that life as it currently stands for most people is good, and therefore, from the hero's perspective, what they are mostly trying to do is stop things that would change it. So you've got your, you know, you've got, like, Superman is the most obvious example, where Superman is, for the most part, not punching the wage gap superman is fighting the the elements that would like wipe out whole cities at a time you know superman is preserving the status quo so everyone else can get on with the business of having a perfectly ordinary and nice life whereas villains tend to be the ones who look at the status quo and say this needs to change for my 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 um aims to be achieved and in, in most cases in most cases the villains aims are quote unquote 
bad. There have been some occasionally odd moments where uh, a comic has done something a little weird on that front. Like, um, I'm, I am remembering a, I want to say it was, I want to say this was the late nineties, but there was a comic where the villain, uh, had electrical powers, wanted to disarm the police, like make it so that <sighs> cops couldn't, ha- cops couldn't hold guns anymore because they were all electrified and they were dangerous and explosive because he like damaged them all in, in transporting something. Cause that's definitely how guns work. Um, and, and like, when you have this character standing up saying, I'm going to take the guns off the police, and that's meant to be a villainous plot, it's like, doesn't, doesn't I mean, quite. It, again, that's the whole thing of like, you do the alt version of your hero who, like, you define, oh, he's evil because he's a communist or he's evil because he's that. Like, man, that says a lot about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We know, we know who you are now for, for making that. That's mm-hmm. your villainous. Like, oh no. They're going to yeah, yeah. take away all the homes and. Give everyone houses. What a terrible thing. Why? Mm. <laughs> oh no, the poor landlords. Yeah, and, yeah. and indeed, um, what's his name? Uh, um, not the question. The Mr. The Mr. Black and White. Um, Mr. A? He, he, sorry, is it, I'm trying to remember the name of the super objectivist superhero. Yeah, superhero. Mr. A. Yeah, so it was Mr. A. Like, Mr. A, what he wanted to do was to hold people over the edge of buildings and lecture them on objectivism. Like, yeah, you've, you've shown us a lot of who you really are there, man. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it- the, the, the nature of the villain is the one who wants to project change into the status quo. And the villain is usually the character who doesn't want themselves to change and wants to change the world, while the hero is usually the character who changes themselves and leaves the world as is. These are these are storytelling mechanisms that go back to Greek theater. It, yeah, I mean, it, there's also the dynamic of like a superhero world that has a bunch of other like separate dynamics going on simultaneously. Because it, when you have these characters have big goals like that, it then begs the question: you know, why isn't this important in the Cloak and Dagger book? So you know, if you have all these big goals and you're not doing much to be important enough, are you to, asking? Are you asking why Cloak doesn't stuff? Why are you asking why Cloak doesn't just eat Doctor Doom? Is that your thing? <laughs> Is that where we're going? I mean, you know what? That's always the fucking question. It's like Superman throws him in the sun. Why doesn't he do that? Why don't they just say, "Hey, Cloak, go eat whoever"? <laughs> well, the answer to why Clo- why Superman doesn't huck people into the sun is because Superman's a good person. Cloak's not. <laughs> it doesn't work with Cloak. <laughs> doesn't eat everybody i'm just saying he should i'm saying that if you talk i'm saying that cloak is like cloak's whole framing network uh, and the way cloak views problems it means that it's very hard for cloak to not see problems in terms of what can i remove from the world to make things better and and that means you do wind up eating people just just <laughs> welcome to the banana vor corner what? so I'll explain when you're older. So the, I don't. <laughs> so the so the nature of the villain uh, tends to be having their own agenda. They tend to not live in a rogues gallery, though sometimes with certain characters, like for example, uh, Darkseid. Darkseid is definitely a a big capital V villain, but you can also make the case that he's part of Superman's rogues gallery because he's one of the few people who can like directly oppose Superman. Yeah, you're not wrong, but I kind of hate that. Like, I, the dark side thing is, the whole thing of dark side as a Superman villain. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Like, 
that's why I like make a distinction between like an enemy and say a nemesis and like a big time villain because like major villains it feels weird when they have personal beefs like that like you know Doctor Doom is like the iconic one and he's very strongly defined by having this individual beef one beef yeah just the one like I hate that motherfucker and he'll do things just to fuck with Richards to like yeah straight up he he is a mono beef character. But then at the same time, they'll flip around and say, oh, well, he's a big deal. You know, he's a big problem. And they'll make him do big problem things. And I'm just like, mm, I don't know, man. Like, like how how menacing are you when all I got to do is, like, throw this stretchy motherfucker in the middle of things. And you'll just do any dumb bullshit now because, like, you're completely off track, right? Like, it's my same. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you like, there there is a case you can make that certain types of villains scale up better. Uh, and, and as we talked about with the power level discussion, there are times where a, where a villain, where, where, you know, a member of a rogues gallery, when they get out of that rogues gallery and start dealing with, you know, the others, you know, other, other levels of problem suddenly become like a, you know, a problem for seven or eight people. Um, I, I can't think of a good example at this point, but like, if, if you threw, um, if you threw some of, so some of say Batman's villains up against, uh, you know, a lower tier teen group, like beating that one villain would be their whole day. And, you know, that, that, that's an example of how a lot of this stuff can be very fluid. Like, this is why I tend to view the villain in terms of like the, the antagonist versus the protagonist and the status quo versus the change. Yeah. Because that's usually a lot easier. And most superheroes are status quo warriors. Most of them. It, there, there does need to be work put into actually facing with that. But you know, yeah. people don't want to. Which think weirdly, about the that. movies are doing it. Think, think about it. Like every single one of those movies ends with a disruption to the status quo that was either in place beforehand or that they established in the movie. Yeah, but I do feel like that's like the thing about like film as a medium because like the next, the next time we see that sort of thing, it's not going to be so radically different from what we know now. That it will be like you're right, unrecognizable in the way that it would be if you were actually challenging things, you know? Yeah, like, well, they they do actually have one material element to all this that's going to really heck with everything, which is movies have to deal with actors getting old. Yeah, and like Robert Downey Jr. is in his fifties; he's not going to keep doing this stuff. Tony Stark is meant to be in his thirties, and that's. It's the same thing's true of Batman. Like you, you, these characters are expected to kind of have an eternity seal on them, which they very clearly do not. Um, and and the fact that you've got that problem means that the movies kind of have to keep moving forward in a way that the t- that the comics don't. Yeah. Um, that is the but deal. But of course, too, like, like if you're a yeah. villain, like a major antagonist for a long period of time, you know, even in comics time, which is weird. Like, when do you? Like, throw it away, man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. When when do you retire? And and that was that was that, that particular and then who question. Takes your place? Like the impetus of Watchmen. Like, oh hey, uh, can villains retire? Can villains go straight? Eh, that's the other thing too. Like they perform a role in the universe the same way that the superheroes do. But I don't know if anybody's out here thinking like, okay, well, what do we do? Like someone's thinking, well, what do we do when we stop doing Superman stuff? Who is Superman after? But who's sitting around going, well, what do we do when we're done with Superman and thus Lex Luthor? Who is Luthor after the fact, right? Yeah. Like, who, and, who? and that's just a really complicated question in general. Like, mm. who are you when you are defined by who you hate? 
<laughs> Side note, yeah. we're, we are basically at this point trashing over the, the messages of, of Black Panther right now because that is a movie that's about disrupting the status quo, knowing who you are, who you hate. Like, it, it's a... It, you know, we're basically cribbing notes here. It's also... And I, this is dumb, but I think I'm going to, like, explore this idea more. Pretty sure you can map the plot of Black Panther to the MF Doom song, Monkey Soup. So I'm taking your word for it. <laughs> Straight up. It's, it's all, right. all about... It's I, all- you, you are my friend. You are a scholar. <laughs> you are wise. I have no earthly clue how to tell whether or not you're taking the piss. I, I'm, like, 60% serious. Okay. That's actually more than usual for you. I'm just, I'm just saying, alright? Mbaku said he slapped the fan's hand down and tell him no yelling. Just like Doom did, alright? Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a good movie. Sorry, no, we, we, this is not going to be another episode about Black Panther, but I saw it yesterday. It's really good. Oh my <laughs> god, it's really, really good. Um, and, and indeed, in that movie, you have a villain who wants to oppose the status quo, and you have amazingly you have in that situation also a hero who changes himself um rather than changes the world now the fact that he changes himself leads to him changing the world so i'm kind of having it both ways there but uh you know it 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 was a it was an example of a movie where the villain actually kind of achieved one of his ends just you know not the way he wanted to yeah and again that's that, that that says a lot about the the narrative being presented as villainous versus heroic and the thing is like until this is weird right until killmonger became like a problem for black panther and decided he was going to direct his attention towards there i would imagine that society viewed him kind of heroically because you know american soldier and all that shit and we can super seal yeah like you know like he he like he was he, he probably screwed himself out of a movie deal by taking on Wakanda. He could have just been like, all right, then I'll write my memoirs and I could be the next American sniper. He and, would be black Chris Kyle. Yeah, uh, right? And Yeah, and, and boy, my goodness, there are a lot of people who would love to see that right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I the, the whole thing with um, Killmonger is that, like, Killmonger is... Ki- kill, one, one of the things that Killmonger mentions is that he got made fun of for believing in Wakanda. And that's, that to me is super interesting because like, he's not going to run to a bunch of white kids and tell them like, like you, you see, you see his childhood friends, you see the kind of people he hangs out with. He wasn't hanging out with, you know, Chauncey and Clarence. He, well, actually bad example. Cause though, cause Clarence is not exceptionally. Clar- Clarence is a very posh white name here. I'm sorry. Um, I forgot about the Supreme Court justice. Give me a break. Anyway, um, but the, uh, the, you know, he's not hanging out with Chauncer and Tarquin and saying this stuff. He's hanging out with other black kids and he's telling them, yeah, well, my dad says that there's this, you know, country where there's like a heart shaped herb and there's a cat god and everything's sand and it's super, super dope. And I'm going to go there one day. And like, that is the kind of story that a kid shares and gets his butt kicked. Mm. Like, so, so I get the impression that no one liked young Eric. Like, speaking as someone, you know, speak, speaking as someone who in a small, small environment did at one point share stories about how, oh, here's how the world really is and got my butt kicked for it. I'm just saying there, oh, yeah. there is something. <laughs> it's a, uh, that's something to be an insufferable kid and growing up. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a dynamic, right? Again, like he probably went through a strong period of time of being like, like, like lionized and hero worshipped by the government because of all that awful shit he did. But yeah. the context of the world says, oh, that's a good thing according to the powers that be. Yeah. On the other hand, he was also at some point in his teen years probably a Wakandan example of a hotep, and that's just. Mm. Mm. Made all the more complicated by the fact that at the end of the movie, he's like, oh yeah, I'm right. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, man. That whole dynamic, right? Because there's the whole thing where, like, whenever Doom gets control of the world via some bullshit, except that, which also was, makes Secret Wars 2 kind of increasingly dumb. Or Secret Wars 3? I don't even fucking know. But, okay. The number so, like, of Secret Wars is itself dumb. But the fact that very often when, like, Supposedly Wakanda, I mean, not Wakanda, Latveria is not a bad place. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, low unemployment rates, high literacy, yada, yada, yada. Because, like, we're so, I guess the, the, the idea we're supposed to grasp is that, like, his means are themselves bad. But it's like, mm-hmm. the means we, like, you're not gonna fucking talk a wall down. You're gonna have to break it down with, like, a hammer. So, like, yeah. it's the same thing of, like, well, we can, that, that's a mentality that, again, like, defends the status quo. It doesn't threaten the people who benefit from all the bad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and indeed, this, this also shows another ethical framework in that one of the ideas that's kind of core to the Fantastic Four is results aren't important. Motivation is important. The fact that Doctor Doom can run a country and have a thriving super science program and have all the time to dedicate to what he does and all the skills he does... All of that is kind of irrelevant because we know he's a, like, he is inherently a bad person. So the fact that he has good outcomes in Latveria is itself not seen as a good thing. And in some cases is kind of seen as like a bad thing of like, oh no, this is going to make it so much harder to convince the people that Latveria is bad. Um, Darkseid does the same thing. Like when Darkseid gets, gets his, like the, the famous line, I am many things Kal-El, but here I am God. Like that line is meant to show you that, you know, he, he has, he is worshipped by people he abuses. And. Yeah, but like, we're clearly meant to interpret, cor- I mean, not, I was about to say about this, but we're clearly meant to interpret Apocalypse as like a shit place. Like. Yeah. It looks. They have slavery. They have slavery. They have fucking fire pits and everybody's unhappy and miserable looking. Most people don't even have like all of their color. They're all kind of yeah. like washed out and shit and beat Though, up. Though. Though, like, like I like I said in an earlier episode, the the whole problem one one of the big problems Apocalypse represents is that uh, Apocalypse shows that slavery can work. That's not not well, good for a given definition of for, work. Like, yeah, like, I mean, it depends your, on your pragmatic goals, right? view of it. Depends on your your pragmatic take on ethics, and you know that that's one of the things that superhero comics tend to reject the idea of pragmatism as ethics. But it's I'm, uh yeah, I'm interested in because I don't have enough like background in Green Lantern to, like, wonder how Sinestro's world works. Because, you know, like, he rules through fear and is a tyrant, and et cetera, et cetera. And he's, like, a very obvious, like, nemesis sort of figure to Green, to at least Hal Jordan. And what's Korg... Like, how bad are we meant to interpret Korgar, you know? Yeah. And, like, and by the way, note a- that we were talking about these villain characters, we are almost always talking about people who are in charge of something. hmm I mean, like, how bad was America under Lex Luthor, right? Like... It was still America. Like, well, that could either be a really important statement or more likely not just, you know, lack of oversight. Like, yeah, like the, I, that sounds like I'm being flippant, but the, the whole thing is that 
Lex Luthor still had a recognizable America at the end of it. And the kind of things that people got mad about were not the kind of things they're actually mad about in the real world. Yeah. It's... The, 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 in, in Black Panther, the sequence that you have, that, the period where you have the, the opening in 1992 Oakland, that's like how many months after the, the Rodney King riots at best? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's what they're going for, obviously. Oh, obviously. Right. It, it, that, that is the whole thing of how good are things depends on like how bad they are for you, right? And, More reason to get brighters of color, by the way. Yeah, because, like, again, you you get... No, well... Mm, because, again, you have fucking... Well, even that, right? Because, like, Christopher Priest created a whole fucking, like, core of secret, like, Gestapo police for Wakanda when he hopped on, you know? And that's a recur... That's a thing now. Like, that's where those spies come from. Right? Yeah, 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 the on. war dogs. Right. But I don't even... Uh, what did Holland do to like imply that there's something wrong with Wakanda? Well, I mean, so so here's the related thing, and I I mentioned it when we talked about Black Panther. The the idea that the people in charge, like you, you're dealing with a universe of superheroes. It's not unreasonable to say, all right, because we have superheroes, and they're all like, yo, this person is super good at punching people. Why could there not be a superhero whose thing is real good at leading people? And the answer to that is, well, it's really complicated and, you know, the interrelation between state power and all that is really a big deal and you can't just sweep it all together like that. But my, but the response to that is, so's violence. Like, these things are not as simple as we like to pretend they are for the purposes of storytelling either. But we're not going to have that conversation anytime soon. Right. And well, that's the thing, too. Like, I think you can have, like, a major villain uh, who isn't, like, in charge of things. Like, Yeah, yeah, they don't have to be in charge of things, but look at how often the the, the great villains the, the, the ones who can ones. reach beyond themselves ah i mean some of that is also how much the industry is willing to devote to any one character like fucking vandal savage right Vandal yeah. savage is a great like concept and a thing to explore and you get it here and there but like you and, know, and he vandal, have- vandal vandal savage is a great example of a villain because remember that whole thing about how the rogues gallery and i was talking about you know the reflection of the hero and everything mm. vandal savage is a reflection of literally everyone by definition. Yeah. He's the, Ev- the, like the earliest man. He's... Yeah. Even the characters who aren't human get to be reflected by Vandal Savage because you have, like, Martian Manhunter, I am trying to be a human. Vandal Savage is sitting there going, oh, yeah, well, this is what that looks like. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. And, like, that, that is the difference between, like, forces of nature and the, the argument that a character... The science like, monster and... Yeah, like, the argument that I care about the Joker is, like, a metaphorical force of nature. It's like, I mean, that only works in a context where real ones don't exist. Like, you know, crazy terrorist man is a force of nature unless the phoenix exists. Then he's just an asshole, right? Yeah, yeah, it's all scale as well. And the nature of comic book universe is trying to cram all the characters in the same general space means that sometimes things... A lot of a lot of scale is about forgetting what exists. Yeah, it, at the same time though, like, like if you're even going to engage the, in the media, you have to choose to ignore a bunch of dumb bullshit or yeah. it'll frustrate you. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's like this whole conversation about Wakanda. You know, so like as far as far as examples of this whole scale perspective and ability to change the world thing goes, the whole thing of Spider Man, right? 
like the point of the Spider-Man story, of which we have had countless iterations, is that with great power, which is to say, you have power, you have some responsibility to use it in a way that benefits the world. And, like, you'd think that that would translate real easily to Wakanda. Like, the Wakandan ethics is why the hell aren't you using what you do to save the world or, or protect the, the most vulnerable people in the world who have something in common with you. But that runs headlong into the, the, the question of scope because we actually had a period of history where one technologically superior power ran around the world saying, all right, we're going to impose our ethics on everyone. And that was the British colonial empire. And it was awful. And I'm not saying that Wakanda and like, that's almost like the fantasy of Wakanda, the idea that, hey, maybe if we, maybe if, like, good people were doing the colonizing as opposed to utter shitheels, you know, we could get somewhere with it. But it's still the same tool. It's still, like, I wanted to mock up uh, uh, the cover of H.G. Wells's The War of the Worlds and replace it with Wakanda, because, like, the whole point of that book is, hey, we're the British Empire. Would we be okay with a technologically superior force just turning up and killing all of our shit mm. just because they're technologically superior? Like, that's the message of that book. And that whole question is at the root of the Wakandans. And yet at the same time, are they not obligated and entitled to act in a superhero universe? And these are really complicated questions. And the fact that they are difficult to answer is, I think, what makes them non-villainous in the case of the Wakandans. Like, I think the fact that it's a struggle to come up with a good answer is kind of what symbolizes the, 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 the heroic point of the narrative. There's also the whole thing of, again, like, the fiction imparts a certain degree of, like, moral correctness to the character. Yeah. Where they say, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, he's a hero, so he's right. And then you can even go a step further and have, you know, an actual, like, supernatural force of correctness come down yeah. and say, no, yes, this person is correct, you know? And that's Which, not- by the way, they made fun of in Next Wave. And then they have fucking, you know, like, sometimes this happens to villains, right? Yeah. And, you know. No, uh, in, in the Next Wave, um, in, in Next Wave, Aaron Stack meets the Celestial Tribunal and they bring him before them to just say, you are so shit, dude. I'm, like, I'm pretty sure, hasn't Dr. Doom lifted Thor's hammer at some point? Or is that just a cover? Uh, I, probably, but I don't know how much of it that's actually in continuity. That's not That's not a moment that to me stands out as like, definitely, definitely happens and you bring it up to annoy nerds. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like and, that has happened at some point. And like, the recent shithead brigade at Marvel argued that worthiness is a cultural concept and that's why Nazis can totally lift it. And like, that's just... The wrongest fucking time, dude. No, again, like those, again, like it's the right time for their agenda. So, like, <laughs> yeah, they're attempting something. They're not like actually making a point. They're like pushing it. Like that's the, you know, they accuse everybody else of pushing an agenda because they're always pushing an agenda. You see, yeah. you see yourself in other people. Yeah, the, the like, joke, uh, <laughs> the joke uh, doesn't feel funny. Uh, but the the line about that is uh, that. Like, when you get down to it, you know, Thor is Nazi imagery. Like, by definition, it's one of the things that the Nazis co-opt. That's why I was never into Thor, because I knew that when I was, like, 13. I was like, "Mm, I'm not into that. Yeah, which is is super frustrating for me, because to me, Thor was, like, again, the whole cult upbringing. Thor was this really exciting idea of, like, hang on, these are stories. These are things that people made up. 
and, and like the Norse aren't around and we don't believe and, and Ragnarok's probably not going to happen. So, 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 so maybe the stuff that I've been afraid of as being absolutely 100% true isn't. So for me, Thor has got this very liberating kind of air to him as opposed to these gonkuses who think, no, Thor is pretty much a correct example of how a story should be structured. Needs to feature your younger brother turning into a horse and having sex with something. I mean, and then you can look at Loki and his, like, angle. Because, like, he, even, like, classically, he's the reason the Avengers got together. Mm-hmm. You know? And, like, I like Loki goes back and forth. He's in, like, that kind of roguish position of just, like, how how much of a villain is he depends on how much the writer likes him. You know? Yeah. Or even, like, Dracula, who is, is usually a villain, but also is also the star of his own stories a lot. He like, eats people. In, in superhero contexts. You know, he eats people. I'm not, I'm not passing moral judgment on Dracula. I'm saying, I'm his, saying he eats people. I'm talking about his role as a narrative uh, device. I'm perfectly willing to pass moral judgment on eats people. I, I mean, I, I'm old fashioned like that. I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with you. I'm talking about something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fine. Just you're saying how much. Of, how much of a villain are you if you have if you are the star of a book, right? Loki had his own book, Doom had his own book, Dracula had his own book. Don't think Darkseid ever did. Let no, surely not. Joker, Luthor, yes, but not in like that's another thing too, right? Especially like when you're putting this in like grander superhero contexts. Uh like say having a miniseries is not the same as having an ongoing, right? And like there's a difference between being a significant major part of the universe and being treated so ha- like Harley, right? Harley yeah, Harley is definitely like, important. Right, and she started up that like in a minor character and now she has ongoings and potential movies and shit. And that's all well and good. You know, she doesn't have greater goals or even like a character like Deathstroke or, you know, Deadshot <laughs> or like, like those are villainous characters but they're not major characters in the same sense that Doctor Doom is. Yeah. But also fucking... You know, Deathstroke has got up to some major level shit if you're, you know, putting up against, like, all the things he's done against the Titans. Yeah. I mean, at at this point, we are talking about characters impressing themselves on the world around them. And, Mm -hmm. again, villains are the ones who change status quo. Villains are the ones who shape the world. And, typically speaking, a villain is a character who is going to be the one... Basically, villains can translate across heroes, whereas heroes very rarely translate across villains. Is your house haunted? Uh, that is, in fact, Fox's phone. The, the, the villain. Um, the change of the status quo and the ability to exert your will on the world around you. Basically, power to change the world. Which is kind of funny, because that's what most heroes are kind of described as, and they definitely don't have it. Uh, again, that depends. That, when you come from that perspective of, is the world fundamentally good or is the world, like, fundamentally flawed? If you come from, like, the, le- the, the former, then your hero will be trying to change the world and, you know, depending on your level of optimism, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but in like a grander superhero setting, things have to maintain more or less like the same level as they They, are in the real world. They need to be usable for other storytellers. Right. I mean, that's the whole idea that, you know, Captain America fought World War II, but he didn't win World War II. So, like, he was there, but he was more or less kind of irrelevant. Like, yeah, he prevented well, a mean, bunch of shit that never actually happened. Oh, he stopped the Red Skull from launching a bomb. Well, I mean, the Red Skull never launched a bomb, so like he he allowed things to continue. Basically, on think as dogs barking. 
<laughs> the mailman has never entered our house. I attribute this to barking. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And yeah. you look at a like a figure like Magneto, like like he goes back and forth a lot, and he's often like a major like thing in like the greater Marvel universe. Like if of all the X Men villains who are important outside of X Men context, I say Magneto is at the top of that list. You know, mm-hmm. like he was responsible so, for all that stupid uh, onslaught shit, and that fucked up everybody for a good long time. So, like, this this nature of the villain as static, sorry, the villain as agent and the hero as static is kind of, like, we've been talking about it, like, this is the way superheroes work, and it's kind of technically a lie. Because what it really is, is this is how the big two's superheroes work. Because mm-hmm. you go to, like, Image Comics, you check out Invincible, or, or um, God help me fathom, and no, the hero's changing shit all the time, sometimes for the much stupider and much worse. But like it isn't it isn't as fixed a structure as the existing story, like as the way we frame it. Like in in Invincible, in the first volume of Invincible, you have a major character kinda technically dies, uh, and one other major character decides that her superpowers are best served fighting poverty and hunger rather than dudes in suits and so she leaves to go to africa Continue. which is there atom eve goes atom eve goes to africa where she uses her literal matter recombinating god powers <laughs> to uh basically make food lodging and power for africans and <laughs> the only problem is i cannot remember where she goes so it has that very nagging feeling of Africa's a country, right? Yeah, it's... <laughs> I mean, this is the whole thing of, like, you know, Watchmen, where, like, the heroes slash villains, like, fundamentally alter the nature of their world. Yeah, because you can do that when you actually have control over the universe, as opposed to control over a character. And only for a couple of years. And this thing, too. Yeah, unless you dance slot. It's... <laughs> or Neil Gaiman, weirdly. Well, here's a weird thing, right? Okay, so according to that current, like, dynamic, Spider-Man has fucking drones all over New York <laughs> who can hype, and like, an army of dudes, and, like, that would fundamentally alter- Isn't he, like, hmm? isn't he, like, Tony Stark now? Yes. Like, he's got his own tech company, he's and extreme. when he wants some goofy device made with a spider on it, he can just go get it done? Yes, he's, 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 he's just Tony Stark now. But, like, again, even Is the this because they like, kill Tony- isn't that Tony's? I'm pretty sure Tony's alive again by now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that, it, again, that. <laughs> I love that periodically in this podcast we have to edit out you just being so angry at comics you have to pause. <laughs> it, the whole dynamic of fucking, again, that's why, you know, Wakanda can be amazing and, and Themyscira and Latveria and Atlantis can be all this shit and we just roll with it, but the minute you put someone in, like, our world, and do that shit because that doesn't fucking like. How often do you think like? And I'm, I know just somebody's gonna like throw up fifty images in my face and say like, "Ha, ah, see this one." How often do you think like Daredevil? Hi, Corey. Deals, how, do, how often do you think Daredevil deals with like <laughs> Peter Parker's weird spider drone army situation when he's out there? Probably not that often. Because why the fuck would you want to? Like, you want to fight? You you don't want that, right? I I so want to see a uh, uh, Matt Murdock like disentangling one of peter's drones from like a clothesline now 
Like, it, it, it got stuck that, again. Like that, that would fundamentally alter, like changes the status quo, like mm-hmm. on paper. But in reality, or on other paper written by the people, like changes yeah, nothing. There's it's what nothing. you it's tell just, us and there's what you show us. And right. they tell us a lot of things. Uh, and speaking as a Transformers fan, you can get told all sorts of things, but it doesn't make it true. Doesn't mean it's actually carried out anywhere. Like you know, um, we can say, <laughs> but again, that's if it's not a superhero story, if things get too alien, right? At least from my perspective, it, yeah. if it becomes too unlike our world to be like comparable, then like yeah. the whole thing falls apart, and you wind up with something like Top Ten, which uses the tropes and designs of a superhero universe, but is not a superhero story by any stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, you could even look at like, like what what is what what does the impact of like a Sentai like world with all the shit that goes on there? Like how like I still remember start- that it's a like a mid it was like a mid season thing to have actual normal people notice the Power Rangers existed. Like even like that's that's like a very classic like secret identity thing. What about the giant monsters and the robots? Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah, the government doesn't seem to react to them. Like, like fucking, like, in Pacific Rim, that becomes the whole fucking point of the, the, the universe when that happens. Yeah, we, we have to, we have to dedicate the entire global economy to handling the fact that giant robots happen. Like, and there's certain Sentai stories that, like, are in the future or some shit, so it doesn't really matter. It's like, yeah, okay, it's a different sort of world. And, you know, it's a TV show, so we only see, like, five sets. <laughs> yeah, so... Sure, I guess there's some shit going on out there, but mm. and that's again the, like the the thing that television and film, like the practical limitations of it, can assist with. Whereas in comics and animation, or even in video games, you can just do whatever the fuck you want, which means yeah. the absence of that context is felt more. At least not for me, with like my mind, I notice it more because like when it's on TV, it's like, well, yeah, they're not gonna actually go to China because that costs a hundred million dollars, but. You know, they're going to go to China in the comics. It's going to take two panels. And then it's just yeah. like regular China. It's like, but like, didn't you say that like Hong Kong got blown up? Like, you know, some shit like that. Where like, <laughs> that's also where like yeah. the like DC angle of like constantly fake cities kind of works in their advantage. Yeah. Because Metropolis can be a bunch of bullshit. And it's like, well, I guess that's how Metropolis is. I guess that's how Gotham is. Setting everything in New York or California or Atlanta, it's like, no, though. It's a (laughs) trade-off. Right. It's a trade-off. And and what makes it worse is, uh, you know, you... you, So, so for a lot of comic book readers, they're not actually in California or New York. Like, there are definitely comic book readers there, but the majority of them just aren't, because that's how population works. Um, And that disconnect means that for a lot of people, they're getting shown an ideal of California... While Californians are being shown definitely not actually California. And that's a really interesting kind of, you know, puzzle to, to, pa- to pick away at for the, uh, for the creators of the story, because from their perspective, why are you using California? Like, what about the fact that it's California matters to you? Yeah. Is it, is it and- just the ads of roller skating girls in bikinis? I mean, is that the entire reason is because California is cool? <laughs> a lot of times it's just, to like distance characters from each other's like to add meaningful space between them like because fucking black lightning used to live in south side metropolis <laughs> yep yep it was the suicide street 
I think it yeah. was called. Suicide Slum. And, yeah, yeah, that's that's totally going to land with like Superman literally nearby. Right. Like, next door. I still find it weird that he's in Cleveland now because that's where Tony Isabella lives, so he puts it in Cleveland. It feels weird, but like, you know, like I I pref- I prefer a fictional city, you know? Yeah. Or even like the place that uh Starman lives, uh was it Opal City? Mm-hmm. That that's such a realized place. Or fucking was it Coast City that Hal Jordan lives in? And then Mongo blew it up. Like Mongo had a meaningful impact on his world as a major villain because he could destroy something fake, right? Yeah. And we could all say, Oh, we're all traumatized by the destroying the destruction of Coast City and you know that A place led that to doesn't exist. Right. That led to parallax. Yeah. Like Mongo meaningfully changed his world in like a massive way. He effectively was responsible for the death of the Green Lantern Corps. And that's the thing, too. You can kind of change the status quo of the superheroic aspects of your universe as a villain. You know, if you kill Superman, that has meaningful impact. But like, and if you blow up Metropolis, that has meaningful impact. But not so much like... like The very quiet way that the stories have slowly had smartphones appear... And stuff that used to be Tony's tech in the 70s is now every day, and no one mentions it. Oh, man. Because <laughs> you can't like, mention it, because that would be really weird, because none of that time has passed. Yeah, and it, it makes, it kind of makes the heroes look villainous, if you're like, you know, oh, we've had cell phones all this time, and now mm, you have them, mm. you know? <laughs> we just been holding on to them. But you can look like, fucking, it, it, you say, you know, like, Mongo can never blow up New York, but at the same time, for some odd ass reason, like Doctor Doom and the Kingpin can show up after nine eleven and catch feelings. Yeah, do you remember Though, that? I, I, <laughs> on a related Spider-Man? front to that, you also have you also have this unfortunate side effect where it, where the second you try and do something that does affect the permanent status quo, not only do not only do uh you have editorial positions literally standing next to you going, "Are you sure?" But you also have the added complication that the readers, like you, blow up New York. In an existing comic book franchise, like if Marvel said, "Yeah, we're blowing up New York," no one believes you. Like, no, you're not. You're not gonna. You're not gonna blow up New York. You're gonna. You're gonna blow up Schmuschmork. Or, or okay, the fact that you've blown up New York indicates to me that this story is going to get outwritten out of continuity, or something's going to undo it. Mm-hmm. And they, it, it primes people to preemptively ignore what you're doing, which is like such a weird habit to induce in your readership. Over such a long period of time. Like, don't take us seriously. We're trying to do something important here. Yeah, I'm the big, most important villain ever. What are you going to do? Stuff. And I will always be... (laughs) I mean, that's the thing, right? We've said, like, the story of the hero is always, you know, they fight evil, they win. So that kind of inherently limits the story of the villain, where they can't ever really meaningfully win in their context, right? Yeah. And, And then you get this other secondary side effect of that, which is super awkward, where the villain's kind of right. Killmonger's not wrong. He's wrong, but he's not completely wrong. Yeah, and like, it, like and again, you have the, the, the space of like Doctor Doom. Like, I don't know, man. I like to, like that's when they have to bend over backwards to like reach these extremes to make the character wrong, right? He has to, you know, slap yeah. a bunch of women around and be like cartoonishly evil in order to put himself in that position where you don't root for him. You don't have the problem yeah, like, with Kingpin because it's like, he, yeah, no, fuck the Kingpin. He. He, he runs slavery yeah. and drug and like, like, just debates about drugs, but even just the idea that what he does is enough, like, we, we can easily, 
Yeah, we we don't need to we don't need to have like a greater point about and that and that I think is one of the interesting things about the grounded nature of of shows of stories like Dead not Deadpool Daredevils mm-hmm. because in Daredevils case like it's it's crime it's a real thing and why why hasn't Daredevil solved crime yet because one dude can't like it, we 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 know why Daredevil hasn't magically fixed everything by beating up the by beating up the kingpin like that actually fits with the existing schema of the world we live in where very bad people can maintain power and most of what you can do is contain them right like if Vandal Savage is you know was just a crime person he'd be he'd be amazing because it's like yeah he's always winning like the kingpin is always winning because of yeah. the context of his narrative right like compare that to like and that's the weird thing, right? Because Lex Luthor is always losing, like, but it's never defeated because he's in that position. Like, you can have yeah. lots of characters get defeated, but like, it's, I guess it's just it tells you a lot that the defeated. metaphor most people have for this kind of storytelling is a villain from the '90s cartoons by Disney, which is Xanatos. Oh yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> the idea that someone said, "Hey, what if we write it so that the villain can get victories even when they lose?" Right, like, and like, mind's blown all over. It's I mean, again, that character is great because what is his grander goal to just win? (laughs) The state of succeeding is good enough for him and getting things he wants individually is good enough Mm. for him. But he's also like a meaningful and also that's a self-constrained story. So they could could have if the if the mood struck them blown up New York. And what are you going to yeah. and also the the story of Gargoyles, which is what we're referencing here, uh, is is a it's much when you do that kind of thing, when you design a Xanatos, you are on the hook to make them a good character and give them a coherent motivation that makes sense. Which, that sounds like it's easy and it sounds like it's, you know, it'd be stupid to allow people to do things otherwise, but you don't. Uh, a, a lot of the time, especially with um, superhero properties, you kind of find the villain in the process of making them. And that's why all these villains have really weird, dumb starts, because they started out as like a pun or a gag or something like that. And that's okay. But if you want to do a Xanatos, you have to start knowing you want to make a Xanatos, and you have to start with a good idea of what things benefit them long and short term. Like, what do they care about? Kingpin... Kingpin can actually handle this in a lot of ways because the Kingpin is crime and a lot of crime is interdependent and comorbid. You know, he, he deals drugs and sells guns. Funnily enough, those are both things, those are businesses with a lot of overlap. Yeah, you need the guns to protect the, the drugs and you need to sell the drugs to make money to buy the guns. And, and people will, people who don't buy drugs will sometimes buy guns to protect themselves from what they fear in the form of people who are doing drugs. It, it all works, and Xanatos having a coherent, like, demand set is what let them do the Xanatos gambit, where they were able to say, alright, here are the, here are the three or four outcomes for this possible story beat. Which of them is, which, which of them has the most interesting story attached to it, and how can our villain benefit from all of them? I mean, that's why Luthor is way more interesting as, like, not a full villain, well, as a, as a, like, corrupt politician and as a like you know a uh, uh, corporate monster than he is as just a generic mad scientist who is always yeah. trying to kill superman because then you can give him all these victories because like superman's always in his way and he you know super hates superman but it's he has other shit going on yeah 
and 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 the nature of our society again means that we can observe him succeeding and say, yeah, well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like if Killer Croc was getting successes every day and just eating lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> not that Killer the Croc fu- necessarily eats people, but Dracula definitely eats people. <laughs> There's even the fucking like the the character of Alva in Static, where or like in Milestone in general, where like Alva never lost. The closest thing he lost was when his son like destroyed himself and it's, and he was like eh, well i fucked that up but like they could never get rid of him he was very much a luthor figure who was behind the scenes because static spent a lot of time you know finding his own personal villains and you compare alva to like ebon ebon seemed to be always losing despite the fact that he was supposed to come off as very intimidating at the end of the day he like lived in a subway station and had like three friends who all kind of hated each other and mm-hmm. he had all these plans and it's like, no, Ebon, you ain't getting shit going on. Like, I think we're touching on another thing here, which is to be a villain, you actually need some degree of competence. Mm-hmm. Like, the Rhino's not a villain. <laughs> Venom Venom, and the Rhino basically exist in the same spot of Spider-Man, of, like, you know, very, very tough, um, stubborn opponents who hate him. But one of them actually could be a villain, and the other one's the Rhino. See the thing they they put the work in to make Osborne a major like a villain, you know. Mm-hmm. It's they put the work in to say, you know, they it all tied into event shit, and that's also part of it too. Where like event based universe based writing can subsume a lot of whatever would matter on your character, but like the whole thing where they made him in charge of Shield and he controlled large parts of the government that massively boosted his status from just. A person who is constantly like that took him from nemesis as you know as a person who just hates you and wants to fuck with mm-hmm. you to like major villain villain yeah right structural power that's really right. what drives it it is ultimately people who have the capacity to have power that extends beyond the personal and the immediate mm. you can even make the case that Kilgrave from jessica jones has a degree of structural power because he can use his power to create a superstructure around him of, you know, loyal, loyal operatives and cause and effect. And that part of what makes him scary. And that's what the hand, that's what the hand basically live on. The fact that the hand are all, you know, time traveling ninjas. Yeah. That's the unfortunate thing where, like, that's like the, like the court of the owls, except, you know, when you're very, like, that's the benefit of being secret, right? If you're like ninjas or assassins or like, uh, the uh, Ra's al Ghul, where it's like you're behind the, the scenes, where <laughs> you're controlling things behind the scenes. So we are meant to like assume there's some degree of victory going on, as long as those characters and the, that structures continue to exist, right? Because like I guess you can kind of view say, uh, and I guess we'll get into it, we ever talk about like evil organizations, but you ever talk about like the Hand or Hydra or AIM or something like that. Victory for the hero in that context is dismantling that organization. But things like that are really useful in a broad universe because, like, a it's easy to just have like you know a, a an identified type of goon that you can throw at a bad guy at a hero. But also, it like can it's connecting tissue, right? Because if I'm fighting the hand over here and you're fighting the hand over there, uh, yeah, it, it, in, in a fictional story, <laughs> yes, 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 right. play is definitely not actually fighting the hand. and that connects that connects us in our books even if we're not you know coming in you know crossing over with each other 
And the same way with, like, major villains who are important to the universe. But, like, that that means no one can ever beat the hand, right? Like, the, the because... Well, it means that you got to coordinate beating the hand. Yeah, but even still, like... Like, hypothetically, the, you could do that if you yeah, weren't a coward. Like, if it was an event, right? And you say, okay, we're going to destroy yeah. Hydra once and for all. And you have a big thing. Yeah. Cool, right? But then, like... A, it'd probably be replaced by something else very soon because, again, these type of or- villainous organizations provide a useful narrative tool. But also, like, imagine them doing that. Imagine everybody getting together and having an event, like the fall of doom. And we all get together and say, how about we just go get them? Like, all of us now, go get them. And they do that. Like, but, like, flip that on his head. Imagine them trying to do that for the vulture. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just comes across as an intervention like everyone like vulture look look vulture you're 60 <laughs> you, you you need to stop your family cares about you <laughs> like, just think of that because like, the that's... response to that is my family are dead but anyway like that that's actually probably a good like barometer for like how much of a major villain you are could you make an event out of actually permanently defeating the character and be like yeah okay then that's that that character and, matters and the follow-up if they did, how much would people believe it? Like if they told if they told me there's an event where yeah we're defeating Doctor Doom and then we're going to get rid of Doctor Doom forever, I'm like fuck off, you're not, <laughs> not in a million goddamn years. You are you are not getting rid of Doctor Doom. It's just not in your DNA. Don't uh, try and sell me comics with nonsense. I, I want I want specific kinds of acceptable nonsense in my comics. I think there are ways to like improve like there are ways to be, there are structural changes there are steps we can make to get to that place and how many of them involve the death of diamond <laughs> yeah yeah that would definitely require destroying certain companies yeah, there's a certain degree of like evil in the world that we just have to accept exists right the the greatest villain in comics ever right yeah 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 it's emma diamond frost Co- right diamond comics. diamond's a girl's best friend motherfucker <laughs> If we can defeat, oh my god, oh my god, Akira Yashida is diamond. <laughs> <laughs> We've cracked the code all this time. <laughs> all along, living in your attic. All right, so we, we have clearly petered out at this point. I don't know. If, I think we're re- approaching a brand new height. That was from the Rooftops, a podcast about superheroes. That was Clay. <laughs> that was Stavith. And we had a lot of fun, and I just wanted to let you know I love you deeply, and I think you're a great person. Yes, and one day, all of us together can defeat the Kuriyashi.